Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Now, let me tell you what redemption is all about and what it means to you. Uh, Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and let's read verse 23 and 24. Romans chapter 3. Well, I need more markers in my Bible. (laughs) Romans chapter 3, 23 and 24. Now, most of us have heard verse 23 all of our lives. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But... There's more to this. And it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So verse 23 is certainly true, but so is verse 24. We all died in Adam. We're all made alive in Christ. Let me give you the definition of redemption. It means to purchase, to buy back to ransom, a ransom payment, and God's judgment of the redeemed is simple. Those that are righteous and those that are not. That's how simple redemption is. Those that are made righteous by the blood of the Lamb and your faith in Christ are made right with God, and those that don't, aren't redeemed. And what my wife's telling is a story I tell about my mother when I was a kid. Your mother may have done the same thing. You may have done the same thing. They had a program by uh, which you could go to the store and you could buy groceries and they would give you S&H green stamps for the total amount of your grocery bill. And then they would also give you a little coupon book that you took home. And my mother made me and my sister and my daddy and everybody once a month, you would have to sit at the dinner table after dinner and we'd all put those little (laughs) S&H green stamps in that book. And then they brought you a catalog that showed you all the things that you could redeem your coupons for toasters, coffee pots, mixers. And mama would, you know, pick out something that she wanted. And then the next day, we'd have to go to the redemption store. Remember that? Well, what, what, were, we, uh, what were we doing? We were redeeming our coupons for something that we wanted. Redemption is a buyback plan. And the revelation of it is that Jesus, by ransom payment of himself, purchased you. He bought you with a price. He redeemed you. And God's judgment of the redeemed, and I'm going to talk about judgment here in just a minute because I think we need more 
insight into this. <clears throat> uh, the, God's judgment of the redeemed, the righteous, is real simple. There are those that are righteous and there are those that are not. You can't be just a little bit righteous. Anymore you can be just a little bit saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. And uh, if you're saved, you're not a sinner anymore. You can still sin, but you don't have a sin nature. Okay, go with me to um, 2 Corinthians. Well, I tell you what, let's go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, how many of you are here tonight? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So in Christ, we are redeemed. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's go to verses 5 through 8. Now, I'll read this every once in a while. Just uh, it, It's hard to get through it without shouting. Uh, I've, I heard so many people say for so long, and they, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to humbly say that we don't deserve anything that we get from God. Well, I mean, everybody knows we don't deserve any of it. But grace is God using His willingness, even though you don't deserve it. Nobody will argue that we deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We deserved hell, but that's not the point. And they would always say, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. And so one day I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want you to help me understand this. I think I know where they're coming from. And He said, Son, everything I did I did for you. Amen. So it was about you. Yeah. He said, go read Ephesians 1 and, and start with me in verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Underline, underline every place you see us. Having predestinated us, say us, us, unto the adoption of children. Let me say this a little bit about predestination. I also... I. I I've asked the Lord to forgive me because sometimes I hear these things and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, that ain't right, that ain't right, that ain't right. What do I do with this? What do I do with that? And I repent of being judgmental and, and kind of stuff. And <laughs> what I'm finding out is my spirit is leaping yes, inside because of incorrect information. Yes, and if God gives you revelation on something... And I've heard all of this. You know, your life is totally predestined. God's got your life already mapped out for you and you just are a player on the stage and you're just acting out your life. That is not Bible. That's, right. That's not what predestination right. means. Predetermined, prepared. You're not a robot. God didn't plan out your entire life. What was predestined is the plan of salvation. That's right. What was predetermined was the plan of adoption. Okay, and you decide whether to get in that or not. Keep reading with me. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of grace wherein he hath made us, say us, us accepted beloved. in the beloved, in whom we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us. Who did he bound toward? Us. Having all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto the mystery of his will, according to his gospel, to his good pleasure, which hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he may gather together in one all things in Christ. And if you go on reading, he repeats that over and over again about what he's done for us. And he said, here's the way you need to understand this. Everything I did for you, I did it for you. Amen. He said, if you want to get the right balance and the right mix, it is about you, but it's not about self. It's not about self. But he did this for us. We're his children. He did it because he loves us. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This is one of the first verses I ever learned and, uh, and mem- memorized. And oh man, in those early days when I got saved, I didn't know anything about the Bible. My, uh, my friends and my wife told me to read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And I, I read Matthew and Mark and I told her, I said, honey, somebody made a mistake. They printed the same story twice. And I said, this, this can't be right. <clears throat> I was biblically illiterate. And I began to read these things, and I began to see the truth, and then I would memorize them. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, in, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm in Christ, are you? Yes, sir. That means the old man is dead. Brother Hagin said some of his friends were getting together one day and they started talking about the past. and said, oh, Brother Hagin, we used to do this and do that and do that. And Brother Hagin said, no, I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah, Brother Hagin, you were right there with us. He said, no, that man died. That man's not alive anymore. This past week, I was supposed to have lunch with one of my old Navy buddies. Uh, we both had a birthday the same time. We were both the same age, and we wanted to celebrate our birthdays. So he had told me, let's meet for, for lunch, and we were going to meet for lunch. Well, he's known me for 60 years. We were both 20 years old when we wound up in boot camp, San Diego, California. We both served in the Navy. We both were on two different ships. And when our ships would in, go into port, we'd find out if we were both there and we'd go on the beach, that means we'd go ashore. And, uh, you know, we had 60 years of friendship together. But he always delighted in bringing up all of my shortcomings. And I always had to pray and remind him and say, look, that man died, no longer exists. So you better shut up or I'll tell off on you. Okay. Because I don't think he's as sanctified as I am. Okay. <clears throat> so let's go on reading. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ 
And by the way, he didn't show up for the lunch. He got sick. He told me, okay, I'm not going to make it. So we had to postpone it for another time. But I'm still making that confession. He, he's going to forget about all that past because I have. And it says, I've, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation to witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in, God's, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, God hath made Jesus, to be sin for us, for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I heard a minister friend of mine say that when Jesus uh, died on the cross, uh, he became a sinner. And again, my, my spirit kind of jumped and, and said, that's not correct. He said, for Jesus to have become a sinner, there were two things that would have had to happen. One, he would have had to have been born of Joseph instead of the Holy Ghost. And two, he would have had to have sinned. And the Bible said he was tempted in every part like we are yet without sin. So he kind of got it all. Jesus didn't become a sinner. He became sin. He became a sin substitute for us. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, Let's go over to uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. And I want to, and I hope I don't step on your toes, but I have no no purpose, not not trying to correct anybody. I just, I have just uh, realized that a lot of people don't know um, the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, we're going to read about it in Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment is for sinners, for the unrighteous dead, those that are rebelled against God. They're not believers. The judgment seat of Christ, and the Bible talks about that. But the judgment seat, uh, I mean the great white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ is where we all go to get our rewards. So you could say it's the rewards seat of Christ. Read Revelation 20. And it plainly says, and the reason I'm dealing with this is because if you don't understand the difference here, the the redemption that Christ has purchased for you won't work. In verse 11, Revelation 20 says, And I saw a great white throne. Everybody say that. A great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And another way of interpreting, uh, correctly interpreting uh, scriptures, is always remember this, context. Say it over and over. Context, context, context. You got to know what's being talked about, who is being addressed. Very, very important. And I saw the dead, small and great, verse 12, stand before God. Now, who's standing before God? The dead. Is it the church? No. It's the dead. 
the dead are standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. Out of these things which are written in the books, according to their works. Then you go over to verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Back up to verse 14. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, according to the scriptures, there's no, there's no Christians at this judgment seat. These are, these are not born again church members. These are not Christians. These are those that have rejected Christ. And they're, they're the unrighteous dead. And uh, you may have heard it, I have too. They, this has been preached and read and got people to believe that this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to answer. You're going to have to answer uh, to God for everything in your life. Uh, can I read something out of Bob Yendian's book? If you don't know Bob Yendian, he was a pastor in Tulsa. He and I pastored about the same amount of years. And Bob is on VTN every morning at 530. And this is his book called Theology Simplified. And let me give you a plug, him a plug. If you want to get your theology straightened out, listen to Bob and get his book. This book talks about predestination, reconciliation, sanctification, glorification, justification, redemption, propitiation, and election. That that covers it, doesn't it? Listen to what he writes uh, about uh, judgment. Redemption is simple. I already quoted this. God's judgment of those who are righteous and those who are not. Those that are standing at the great white throne judgment are not made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And it says... The issue in eternity will not be good deeds or bad deeds that a person has committed, whether or not, but whether or not they received Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. Listen to the rest of it. Most people think that they stand before God, when they stand before God, they will be judged as an individual completely separate from anyone else standing around them, like a separate stalk of wheat, they will be judged for their own production and stature against everyone else. Nothing could be further from the truth. In eternity, a person will be judged as to the tree, whether of Adam or of Christ. You are either either in Adam or you are in Christ. The branch has no life of its own. You remember Jesus said that. If the branch is attached to a dead tree, it's dead. If the branch is attached to a living tree, it's alive also. You are born and attached. (laughs) If you are born and attached to Adam, you're attached to a dead tree. If you receive the life of Christ... Uh, You walked away from Adam and became attached to Christ. Your individual accomplishments, now listen to this. Your individual accomplishments or failures mean nothing 
for your entrance into God's eternal plan. It is who you are attached to. In Adam we all die. In Christ we're all made alive. Now I want to read you something else that you might want to get up and run around when I read this, this next one. But you have to understand it's not, and, and let me compare, go back over to, um, let's go back over to 1 Corinthians 15. It's not, it's not about what you uh, have, have done or didn't do. It's about what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for you. And that's what your faith is based in. And that's what God is going to judge. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Uh, <clears throat> in Adam we all die. In Christ we're all made alive. Back up to verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Now, when Jeannie's mother passed and went into heaven, and, and she and her mother were very close, and we were all very close. We all loved Munner, as we called her. She came over every Saturday afternoon and uh, spent time with Jeannie, or they went shopping together. And uh, I loved my mother-in-law. She helped pray me into the kingdom, and she... She preached to me all the time about what I needed to do. She was on me about the baptism of the Holy Ghost from the time I got saved. Jeannie had to tell her, Mom, Mom just, just leave him alone. He's just barely saved. Let him, <laughs> let him enjoy his salvation. No, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so I'd go to the altar, and I'd kneel down. I'd say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost, but if it's not time yet, I can wait. And I'd get up and leave. <laughs> well, one Sunday night, man, the preacher never got finished I was so under the anointing of the Holy Spirit when he gave the altar call. I went and uh, knelt there at the bench and whoosh. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the love of God came into my heart. And I stood up and I started telling everybody there at the altar that I loved them. And I grabbed this one lady. She weighed about three, 400 pounds. I couldn't even get my arm all the way around her. And I was telling her I loved her. And I thought, who is this woman? I don't know who she is. And Jeannie's mother was standing right there. And, oh, man, they, we had a rejoicing party. You know, the prodigal son had gotten saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Miracles will never cease. But I had to learn uh, what it said uh, in the Bible. And she would teach me. My wife would teach me. Now, if you're born again, you are the redeemed. Amen. It's not based on what you do. The only action that you're going to be based on is whether you accept or reject Christ. You're not, you're not going to have to stand up. And I did a whole message on the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to have to stand up and give account of everything in your life that you'd ever done. I'm so glad I got that revelation because I, couldn't, I can't remember uh, everything. And neither can God. He does not remember. He chose to put that into the sea of forgetfulness. Hallelujah. So if he forgets it, you might as well forget it also. That old man died. 
There's a new man alive today. And it's not because you're perfect. It's because Jesus was perfect. Okay. Uh, Let's go over to 2 Corinthians. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, Where where was it? 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And that's not where I want to go. I want to go to 2 Corinthians. uh, 2 Corinthians. I already read that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. Let's go to Luke 21. Luke 21. And let's read verse 26. Luke 21, 26. Now this is the same message that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. This is just Luke's account. Luke 21, 26. And he said, and you, you may remember this, Oh, I've written down the wrong number. Um, Let me tell you what I'm looking for. Oh, here it is, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, again, here's where context comes in. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the church. He's talking to Israel. Look up. You know, uh, in the rapture, nobody sees Jesus. We're caught up to meet him in the air. And so we are forever with the Lord. It didn't say forever we'd be in heaven. It said we'll always be with the Lord. Now look back up to verse 27. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's the second coming. That's right. not the rapture That's right. because the rapture, nobody sees Jesus. And I've been really pressing uh, the Lord to give me an understanding about the rapture and what we're going to hear. Nobody knows what we're going to hear. Probably sound like... Uh, <clears throat> um, come up here. The trump of God, shout of the voice of the archangel. And I was, I was listening today or reading today, I think I was listening to something. And they said that when Winston Churchill uh, had his funeral, he had them play taps for his death. And then as soon as they finished taps, he had them play Reveille. <laughs> I like that. I think I'm going to do that. I finally got application uh, approved to be buried out at the military cemetery out there, um, North Little Rock Airport. Uh, I finally sent in all the papers, and they said, "Yeah, you you know you can be buried out here," and and said, "And, you're, and it'll no charge." And then said, "And your wife can be buried next to you for eight hundred dollars." That's a deal, man. <clears throat> and and they'll get they give you military honors, and I'm gonna have yeah. them play taps, Amen. and then turn around and play Reveille. Hallelujah! Because I'm stepping out of the old, going to sleep, and then I'm getting Amen. up. Amen. The resurrection. Okay, so he's talking about the second coming. He's not talking about the rapture because they'll see the Son of Man. So he's talking about the second coming, and then when he says. 
when these things come to pass, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Again, he's talking about the second coming. The rapture of the church is a totally separate event than the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is when he comes as a king of kings and lord of lords at the end of the tribulation period. Seven years of great tribulation, the church is in heaven. Now keep this, keep this in mind because this is very important. Go over to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And let's look at, let's see, Revelation 20. No. Revelation 7. I'm sorry. Revelation 7. Verse 9. Of course, in that chapter 7, Revelation 7, it, it talks about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. You heard that? They're going to preach the gospel of the world. This is in Matthew 24, Luke 21. Uh, Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that there will come a time uh, where the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, will preach the gospel of the kingdom to the world. The gospel of the kingdom is that the king is coming. What we've been preaching for 2,000 years is the gospel of grace. They're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, about the elders and the four beasts. They fell before the throne on their face and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, What are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Where did they come from? Who are these people? And I said unto him, Sir, you knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are not church people. This is not the church. This is the, this is the people that got saved out of the tribulation as a result of the ministry of the 144,000. And what we've done is we've kind of gotten... Our, our context out of order. We've we placed ourselves at the judgment, I mean, at the great white throne judgment and, and been told that we're going to have to give account of everything that we've ever done when th- that, there's no Christians at the white throne right. judgment. Moving right along. That's right. All the people that they saw were those that had been saved out of the tribulation That's period. Right. Yeah. And he said they are without number. 
I'm all for an end time revival. Hallelujah. Let her happen. But if you want to be scriptural about it, uh, the innumerable company of That's people right. uh, without number. Now, every revival I've ever read after, they numbered. They had numbered. Even in the book of Acts, they numbered 7,000 and you know, that kind of thing. And overseas in Europe and Wales and all the Welsh revival and Azusa and all, they knew how many people got saved and got. But it wasn't an innumerable. It wasn't without number. But here it says it's going to be without number. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let me read this to you, and I'm, I'm through reading, uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, out of these books. But this will help you. Uh, this is a book that was given to me whew, many, many years ago by a pastor friend of mine up in Chicago. And it's called The Feasts of the Lord. These are Messianic Jews. They are rabbis. They are born again. They are believers. But they're writing on the feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord for the Jews. In John chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, and Jesus went with them to the feast of the Jews. These were feasts of the Lord for the Jewish people. And on that particular passage of Scripture, when Jesus went to the feast of tabernacles, he did not, he, it, the Bible says he stayed behind to avoid the crowd. He did not go up there to participate in the feast of tabernacles he went with those that were going to participate and he stood back out of the crowd. And that's when the guy got healed and they went and told everybody and then everybody came looking for Jesus. And that's when he was able to tell them who he was. So context is everything. Uh, okay, here, here is the... Um, This is the, the, the Messianic rabbis. The relationship of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant can best be illustrated by a credit card. Now, I know Hilton Sutton used to use this example. A credit card has no intrinsic value of its own. It's merely a plastic, but it's accepted in lieu of cash as if it were a true cash transaction but it is a forerunner or a shadow of the true payment which is to follow. The actual payment is made at a later time when the customer pays his credit card bill. I was in Whole Foods the other day. I took a picture of it on my phone. I wish I'd have brought it so you could put it up on the screen. And I was checking out. I put my credit card in the little credit card holder. And right next to the credit card holder was some of y'all are laughing you might have been there seen it too was a device the size of your phone and it was laying right next to the credit card device and you put your hand on that device and it paid your grocery bill And I took, I took a step back and I thought, whoa, I'm going to take a picture of this. 
So I took a picture of it. If I can get my phone to work. Well, let me see if I can find it. You you can't see it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to somebody. <laughs> well, where did it go? You know, technology is not infallible. A lot of times I can't, well, I can't even get it to work. Anyway, I looked at that, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, what in the world is this? So I asked the clerk, I said, "What, what is that device? And they said, well, if you'd like to pay your grocery bill, uh, with this device, you just put your hand over it and hold it there, and it pays your bill. I said, how does that work? I didn't do it. I wouldn't dare put my hand on that thing because I didn't know, you know, what it was going to amount to. There's no, no 666 on your hand or your forehead. You just put your hand, your palm on there, and it pays your bill, and they hand you the receipt. So I asked the lady, I said, how does this work? She said, well, uh, you have to go to the office and fill out a form. And you give them all your banking information, your routing number, your checks, all that. And when they have all of that, they take your palm print. And then when you come by groceries and you check out, you just put your palm print on there and it reads your palm and charges it to your bank account. <laughs> I think I hear taps and reveille. Yeah. I think I'm fixing to hear the, 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 the sound of heaven. Okay, let me, let me go on here because this really makes a powerful point. Your credit card covers your purchase. The sacrifices of the old covenant covered sins and foreshadowed the coming day when Jesus would make the true payment Upon the cross, because the debt has been paid and salvation purchased, there is no need for the credit card anymore, the sacrificial system that they used to have. He paid not only all past debts, but all future ones as well. Jesus was the once-for-all payment for sin. The old covenant... Uh, excuse me, the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant, that it affords forgiveness and cleansing from sin. There is no covering atonement found in the new covenant. There's no need for one. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. The sin question was settled at Calvary. The Messiah was not our atonement. He did away with atonement. There was no need for the blood of bulls and goats to cover, atone for people's sins once a year. The Bible says in Hebrews, and we'll read it, He made one offering for sin forever. Only once. Here's the rest of it. To say that we have an atonement today is inaccurate and never taught in the New Testament. The word atonement only occurs once in the New Testament, and it means reconciliation. 
The old covenant was a shadow of things to come. The new covenant is the substance. Now, these are Jewish rabbis. These are Messianic Jews. These are people that know the feast. They know the stuff, and they're born again. They got a revelation. (laughs) Under the old covenant, the sacrifices were provisional and reoccurring. Under the new covenant, the sacrifice through Jesus' death is eternal and totally sufficient. Under the old covenant, men's lambs could only cover sin. Under the new covenant, God's lamb takes away the sin. I don't know if you've kept up with all this, but I've heard for years that the, you know, the Jews are getting ready to rebuild the temple and they're uh, preparing for sacrifices and all this. And on the 700 Club news the other day, they showed the rabbis in Israel, they have now started raising livestock red heifers. The red heifer is to be sacrificed. When the Jews start getting ready to go back into temple worship and sacrifice, they have to have a red heifer. Okay, the red heifer has to be like the sacrificial lamb back in the Old Testament. Perfect, no blemish. And they showed these rabbis with a magnifying glass parting the hair of the red heifer. And this, you know, the red heifer just stand there slobbering all over everything. And it's just, it's a cow. And they're, they're parting the hairs because they said, you have to make sure that there's no deviation in that heifer. Yeah. That there cannot be, that every hair follicle has to have a red hair. If the follicle has a red or a gray or a white hair, they have to destroy the animal. Aren't you glad you live under a new covenant? Yes, sir. Go over to Hebrews. This is all redemption. This is the legal side of redemption. Redemption has two sides. The legal side, that's what God has already done. He's already done for us in Christ. The vital side is what we have now. It's the working out of our salvation. Now, you don't work to get saved, but once you get saved, get born again, you are to work out your salvation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually Make the comers thereunto perfect. You can never be perfected by the old covenant priest system sacrifices. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Hmm. Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But they never got rid of their sin consciousness. Their sin consciousness stayed. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. It is not possible, verse 4, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Not possible. Down to verse 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God 
from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, say one, one, one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then if you go on down, you'll see in verse 17 where he says, your sins and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Where there's remission of these, there's no more offering for sin. To remit means to send away. And when I first got saved and went to church and I started learning about tithing and giving offerings and all that, I would sit there and when they would pass the plate or pass the bucket, I would put my tithe or my offering in there and then I'd watch the plate go down the aisle. And I'd think, there goes my offering. <laughs> you know, it would go from the end all the way down, then the usher would collect it, and it'd be gone. I, I never really had a revelation of it. I just was trying to be obedient to what my wife and mother-in-law were telling me. <laughs> but I found that it worked. Now, I remember when I first started tithing, and I, I got paid every week, so every week, I'd come home and sit at the kitchen table and I'd pay all our bills and then I'd uh, write out my tithe check. And the Lord said, uh, no, you got me at the end. You got me at the wrong end. He said, put me at the top. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, I put him at the top and it wasn't any better. I said, this is not working, Lord. He said, just keep doing it. That's right. That's it. Just keep doing it. That was who, 50, 55 years ago, and I'm still doing it. Amen. And it's working. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, the legal side of redemption, and I'm, I'm, I'm closing. The legal side of redemption is what God has already done for us as Christians, it's in the past. You're not trying to get God to heal you. He's already healed you. What you're doing is you're taking your faith and accessing God's grace. By grace are you saved by faith. You're you're taking your faith and accessing God's grace. God's grace is what he's already done for you. The legal side of redemption is already done. Amen? Amen. So the legal side is what God has already done. It's in the past. Now, let me, let me close with this. The vital side of redemption is what we have now. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us now. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So what are we to do? Go over to Romans chapter 8. Now, this is how you walk in the vital side of redemption. And the reason I make this distinction is because I hear, I hear people all the time, Christians that should know better. Because you, now, you, you may not get this the first time you hear it. You need to keep reading, keep listening. But I hear people all the time saying, well, we, 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 we believe God or we believe it's God's will. And if you heard the message I taught on Arkansas Live, sense rule prayer. Sense rule prayer always has to have a sign. Spirit-led prayer always follows the word. Remember in the Old Testament, they'd put out a fleece? Yes, 
And if you do that in the New Testament, New Covenant, you'll get fleeced because Satan works in the natural. If, you all, if you've always got to have a sign, Lord, you know, I, I, I need for you to heal me. And, and you're talking about the legal side of redemption. He's already healed you. The Bible says, by his stripes, you were healed. So the legal side of redemption has already guaranteed your healing. Now, you may not have it yet. And so that's where the vital side of redemption comes in. You've got, you've got to keep, you know, our son, Ronnie, bless his heart. He learned all this stuff about the same time I was learning it. And, and uh, sickness and disease, he, as a kid, he'd come, he'd come uh, running down the hall, and his nose running and coughing and all that kind of stuff. And we'd always pray and believe God for the manifestation yeah. of the healing. We knew God had already healed us through the sacrificial uh, lamb, the stripes on Jesus' back. We knew legally he pronounced us healed, but we, we needed the manifestation. So Ronnie came down, he, was, he had fever, he was hurting, and he said, Dad, when's that man from the station going to get here? <laughs> A man from the station. Oh, I learned it. I did dumb things. Our air conditioning went out one time. This was early 70s. We just started traveling. Our air conditioning went out. I mean, it's hotter than blazes in the house, you know. And uh, and <clears throat> Gene said, you need to call the repairman. No, I'm going to go talk to that air conditioning compressor and tell it to work. So I did. I went out in the backyard. I grabbed that air conditioning compressor, and I shook it. And I said, you listen to me. You start working in the name of Jesus. And then I went in the house and told Jeannie to shut all the windows and, you know, it's healed. Oh, a few minutes later, I said, open the windows. <laughs> so I went back out and I said, Lord, why isn't this working? <laughs> he said, well, let me ask you why you prayed for the air conditioning compressor. I said, because it's out and it needs to be fixed. And I laid hands on it to get it healed. He said, why don't you call the repairman and tell him to come fix it. I said, that can't be God. And he said, do you have the money to pay the repairman to fix the, the air conditioning compressor? It's going to be about two or $300 at that time. It's the 70s. That was a lot of money. And so I said, no, I don't. He said, then you need to use your faith to believe me for the money <laughs> and go call the repairman to come out and fix the air conditioning. We had a lady in our church. This is when we pastored downtown in a inner city church. And they called me one day and said, Pastor Caldwell said, there's a member of your church. She's, uh, she's out here in the middle of, uh, it was uh, Markham Street, actually, right, right there at the Med Center. U of A Med Center, and uh, she'd been in a car wreck, and she was bleeding all over the place, and they couldn't get her to get in the ambulance. She wouldn't get in the ambulance. And I told her, uh, and bless her heart, she was a single mother. Her husband had run off. She had all these kids, and she was doing her very best. She said, Pastor, we don't even go to bed tonight until we pray and ask the Lord. I said, Charlotte, that's why God gave you a brain, was for you to decide when you want to go to bed. Oh, we don't. I said, you ever change the oil in your car? She said, oil? I said, you've got to change the oil in your car because a, a, a 
automotive mechanic in our church would go help all the ladies or people that needed help. He'd help them fix their cars and all that. And uh, <clears throat> I said, get in the ambulance and let them take you. I said, the ER is just right over here. Oh, no, I can't do that. I said, why not? She said, that wouldn't be an act of faith. I said, well, then just, I was, I was a new pastor. <laughs> and I said, well, just sit there and bleed then. You're going to bleed all over yourself. You're going to wind up and blah, blah, blah. And I went on with that. And she just looked at me like, pastor. I said, Charlotte, why don't you want to go to the ERs? She finally fessed up. She was afraid of doctors. And she didn't have the money. I said, well, that's the real truth. I said, I told the ambulance driver, I said, take her over there to the ER. I said, I'll pay the bill, but she needs to get over there and get this taken care of, which she did. It wasn't a serious thing, but she was bleeding. And so uh, she told me later that uh, she got all fixed up and went home. And Another lady came in one time. She wanted me to help her uh, with her car payment. I said, well... What happened to your car payment? She said, well, I, I gave it to another sister. She needed some help, so she said, I, I gave her my car payment. I said, now you don't have your money for your car payment. No, and you want me to give it to you? Yes. And the Lord said, now she's wrong in her head, but she's right in her heart, so you pay her car payment. So I did. Next month, she was back again. Did the same thing. I said, now, sister, you bought that car in good faith at the dealership down there and you signed a note to promise to pay them so much a month, didn't you? She said, yes, sir. I said, so that car payment wasn't yours to give. You owed it to the dealership or the bank or whatever. She said, yeah, I, that's right. I said, so you can't do that anymore. And I didn't pay her car payment. And she had to learn a lesson. We had a lady that was running our bookstore in the church. This was years ago. And I had a lady stop me in the hall and said, Oh, Pastor Caldwell said, uh, Thank you so much for those tapes. They just really blessed me. And I said, What tapes? She said, Oh, the lady that runs the bookstore gave me a bunch of tapes to help me. I said, She did. Well, we paid this lady 10% of everything she sold. She got paid on commission. So I called her in. I said, You've been giving tapes away to people? She said, well, if I feel led, sometimes I give them tapes. I said, did you buy the tapes? She got a 40% discount. I said, did you buy the tapes that you gave? No, I just took them off the shelf. I said, those weren't your tapes to give. Yeah. woo <laughs> Now, if you want to buy them and pay for them, then you can give them away. Yeah. So sometimes the reason, you know, you think, Faith's not working or people, it, there's no integrity, there's no character, there's no right. It's right. dishonest. Okay, I better close this up here now. <laughs> Romans 8, let's read this. There is therefore now no condemnation, verse 1, uh, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, if you go on down to verse 5, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But those that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. 
So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be the spirit of God dwells in you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then it goes on down and tells you this is the, this is the vital side of redemption. It's living life in the spirit. It's minding the spirit, not minding the flesh. It's minding the spirit. That's why the Bible tells us to cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every uh, thought under the obedience of Christ. To, to live in the uh, vital side of redemption is your part. It's your faith accessing grace. Grace is what God's already done. The, the legal side of redemption, God's already taken care of you. He's done everything for you that you will ever have need of. The vital side is you accessing what he's already done for you. My father told me when I graduated from high school, he said, son, it's time. (laughs) This this sounds kind of hard, but he didn't actually say it hard. He he was just being honest with me. And my, my father and I were good friends and buddies and just 20 years in our difference in our ages. He was a young father. And he said, son, it, it's, it's time for you to go. I said, what do you mean go? Go where? <laughs> he said, it's time for you to leave. Leave? Yes. He said, you have three choices. You can either go to work. You can, no, it's go to college was the first one. You can either go to college. I've got the money set aside for you and your sister's two years behind you. So if you don't go now, there may not be any money when she comes around. You go to college or you can go to work. And if you go to work, you can live at home as long as you pay me $40 a month room and board. I said, pay $40 a month room and board. Now, this was in the late 50s, early 60s. And I thought, I have to pay to live in my own house? He says, not your house. (laughs) I always thought my room was my room. And kids do that, you know. I thought the food in the refrigerator was my food. (laughs) And I thought my mother was to take care of my clothes and wash and all that kind of stuff. He said, no, you can go to work, but if you live at home, you can stay at home, but I would advise you to get an apartment, apartment, and then uh, you can go in the military. Those were the three choices he gave me. So I went to college for two years. I didn't like it, so I quit and joined the Navy. And, uh, oh, I love the military, love the Navy. I, that's, you know, I, that's, I think every kid ought to have to go in the military as soon as they graduate from high school. Be the best thing in the world for them. And then after I got out of the Navy, I went back to college. But I did go to work for a period of time. And, and I was in uh, <clears throat> Norfolk, Virginia, in, uh, in a bar, and the shore patrol came in and said, we're looking for uh, Seaman Caldwell. And I said, that's, that's me. He said, you have an emergency phone call from the Red Cross. Well, that meant somebody died or there was some problem at home. So I had to go over to the pay phone, put a quarter in it and call. And my dad answered the phone. He said, where are you? I said, well, my ship just pulled in. We've been out for two or three months and I just got, got back uh, ashore and 
I didn't tell him where I was. And uh, I said, why? What's, what's going on? He said, your mother hadn't heard from you in a month. I said, Daddy, you called the shore patrol on me because I hadn't written home? He said, your mother lives off of your letters. So I thought, well, I might as well take advantage of this opportunity. I said, Daddy, can you, can you send me $50? He said, what for? I said, I just need $50. He said, don't they pay you? I said, yes, sir, they do. He said, then you need to learn to live on what you make. I said, thank you very much. Been nice talking with you. <laughs> and I learned right then. Now, see, he had already set aside for me money to go to college. He had taken care of me. He, my, my dad was a, a, a very generous and prosperous man, and he wanted to bless me and whatever. But there were conditions. And he knew I wasn't meeting the conditions, so he just kind of tightened the screws a little bit. And uh, so I realized right then that my father was no longer my source. Now, when I became a Christian, I transferred that honor, faithfulness, integrity to God. My father had never lied to me. He'd always done what he said. He said he's going to whoop you, he'll whoop you. Now, a whooping is different than a whipping. (laughs) But if he said he's going to take me fishing, he took me fishing. So I knew he was a provider, but I knew that he was no longer my source. But I used the same principles. I knew God was now my provider, but I used the same principles of access. And my wife helped me tremendously. And I won't go into all those stories, but they were really good. Y'all learn anything tonight? Yes, sir. Okay. Come back next month and we'll do something else. Um, The key in, in, in what I've taught you about redemption is, first of all, for you to know that you are the redeemed and that God in his redemption has a legal side and a vital side. So you don't need to be crying out to God, oh, God, won't you please heal me? Won't you please bless me? Won't you, won't you, won't you, won't you, won't you? He's he's already done it. I've already provided for you. Legally, the money's in the bank. But you have to apply your faith. And don't be discouraged if you miss it or if, you know, the angel don't show up, you know, the day of or uh, the money doesn't come. When we first went on the radio, I took the... Mm programs out to the radio station, came home and listened to my program on the radio, and then got in the car and went to the post office and expected a letter in the mail. There was no letters. There was no money, no nothing. Came home and I told Jeannie, I said, honey, I, don't, I didn't get an offering, nobody. She said, honey, the, the broadcast just aired 30 minutes ago. At least give somebody time to write a letter and a check and put it in the mail and it'll take a week to get here but you you understand what god has provided for us and you access that with your faith okay turn it over to the pastor thank you jesus isn't the lord good